Hello and welcome to New Things Under the Sun. I'm Matt Clancy. This week's podcast, Teaching Innovative Entrepreneurship. So, a lot of particularly interesting innovation happens at startups. Suppose we want more of these kinds of innovative startups. One way we could try to get more is by giving entrepreneurship training to people who are likely to found these kinds of innovative startups. So we can ask, does that work? And it turns out there are just there are lots of programs that teach people about entrepreneurship. You know, there's classes, boot camps, extracurricular programs, etc. And to clarify, entrepreneurship doesn't always mean innovation in the sense that we're kind of thinking about here. Entrepreneurs can start dry cleaners as well as AI startups. But if entrepreneurship training creates more founders of sort of all types, then it's not unreasonable to think that it also helps more people found innovative startups as well as the other type. Unfortunately, there is by now a big literature that attempts to assess the effects of entrepreneurship training sort of in general. And that literature tends to find it works, you know, at least on average. For example, Martin McNally and Kay from 2013 identifies 42 studies that assess the impact of entrepreneurship education training uh, published over 1979 through 2011. And they specifically look for studies that tried to link education or training to eventual business outcomes of their ventures or to pre-venture proxies, such as, you know, your intention to start a venture, uh, do you have relevant knowledge and skills, etc. And in this sample of 42 studies, there were six that randomized the participants into training uh, and compared people who were given the training to those who randomly did not get it. There's another five studies that compared participants to non-participants, but didn't randomize people into programs, and then the rest kind of compare participants before and after they get this training. Now, some of their studies find entrepreneurship programs increase the interest of participants in founding a venture and improves the outcomes of people who get this training, but other studies in their set find there's no impact or even a negative impact. And you know that variation isn't necessarily surprising as we're mixing up all sorts of different kinds of programs across all sorts of different countries. So to sort through all these different results, Martin and co-authors they look to see if there's any general tendency one way or another. So to do that, they standardize the results of these studies with a measure of correlation between outcomes of interest and completion of these entrepreneurship training programs. And then they, they compute what's just the average correlation across all the studies in their sample, weighting by sample size. And in general, they're going to find when they do that, that there's a positive, though small, correlation between doing the training and all these different kinds of outcomes that we care about. And that small but positive correlation persists when they restrict their attention to the subset of studies that use the most rigorous methods of assessment, such as randomization. Now, the studies covered in Martin, McNally, and Kay 2013, those are all pre-2012. There's another study, Carpenter and Wilson 2022, that does another review focusing on studies published in 2015 and after. And in their review, they identify 10 what they call high-quality studies. And they find that these 10 studies, they don't do like a quantitative meta-analysis. They do sort of a narrative synthesis. And they find, though, that these 10 high-quality studies obtain results broadly consistent with the Martin, McNally, and Kay's earlier meta-analysis. Those 10 studies tend to find entrepreneurship training is usually, but not always, associated with proxies for entrepreneurship. Now, not many of these studies consider the business performance of startups, but when they do, they also tend to find those who receive training have more successful ventures. Now, 
These review articles find that entrepreneurship training has sort of a small and variable effect, but it does have a general tendency to sort of, you know, we might say nudge participants towards starting a venture and maybe succeeding a bit more when they do. But most of these program studies are actually not specifically targeted towards encouraging the kind of high-impact innovative startups that I'm kind of interested in in this post or in this podcast. But there were a few studies that seem more directly relevant. So we're going to start by looking at two that focus specifically on entrepreneurship training for science and engineering undergraduates, because it seems plausible, at least to me, that ventures started by them will be more likely to create new technologies. So Soitaras, Zerbinati, and Alehem, 2007, is an early example that's focusing on the effects of entrepreneurship programs on science and engineering students at two European universities. One of them is in London, one's in Grenoble, France. Now, one thing they look for is whether participants in entrepreneurship programs express more interest in founding a venture after they finish that training. And this study is built on a survey of 250 students who were surveyed at the beginning and the end of the 2002 spring semester. And during that semester, about half the study participants participated in entrepreneurship programming. And some of this is mandatory, but some of it's just voluntary. And about half didn't. They then compare how did student views on these surveys change over the semester. And they find, for example, that the intention to start a business over the semester increased more for the students in the entrepreneurship programming as compared to the control. And the effects are statistically significant, but they're small. On a seven-point scale, you know, from one uh, not likely to start a venture to seven most likely to start a venture, intention to become self-employed increased by an extra 0.1 for people who took entrepreneurship programming during that spring semester. But some other measures hypothesized to be associated with becoming an entrepreneur, well, they didn't change at all. For example, a measure of attitudes towards self-employment or actually counting and measuring did you take actions to actually launch a startup. Don't see any effect on those. Easley and Lee, 2020, they get kind of similarly ambivalent results in a study of the Stanford Technology Venture Program. Now, this is an entrepreneurship center founded in 1995 to serve students at Stanford's Engineering College that has a focus specifically on high-tech entrepreneurship, kind of the thing we're looking for in this post. Easley and Lee want to use survey data from Stanford alumni to assess the impact of that program on entrepreneurship by participants. Do alumni who participated in the Stanford Technology Venture Programming go on to found businesses? And are those businesses more successful if they do? And indeed, they find students who said they participated in this program in alumni surveys were about 10 percentage points more likely to also state that they had subsequently founded a business, presumably after leaving Stanford, but I guess not necessarily. But of course, that might have nothing to do with what they learned from the entrepreneurship programming. It could be everything to do with the fact that, well, people who are already interested in entrepreneurship are the kinds of people who participate in entrepreneurship programming. So if we wanted to tease out the impact of the training itself, we would ideally make the programming compulsory for maybe half the students, and then we'd block the other half from taking it. And that's not what happened. But Easley and Lee exploit the fact that the program started in 1995 and wasn't easily available for students who weren't in the engineering college. And that lets them back out the implied impact of the program by comparing entrepreneurship outcomes between engineering students who graduated before and after that program was created, and by comparing engineering and non-engineering students because the non-engineering students didn't have access to this program. 
And when they do that, well, now they find that the program basically has no impact on any of their measures of entrepreneurial impact. Across 21 different entrepreneurship-related measures, they detected an effect of the program that is statistically distinguishable from zero at conventional levels for two items. Otherwise, the students who were able to attend the program, you know, by virtue of the years that they were in Stanford and the college they belonged to, those students were not more likely to start ventures than students who did not have access to this program, either because they were engineers before the program was offered, or they just weren't engineers while it was being offered. Now, so far we've got evidence that entrepreneurship training works on average a bit when you aggregate over a lot of studies, but also that when we zero in on science and engineering undergraduates in two studies, results are not particularly encouraging. Now that said, given the efficacy of these programs is noisy, we should be cautious about making too much out of two studies. One potential issue here is that maybe most science and engineering students don't plan to start ventures. Maybe that is actually though less of a concern at Stanford, you know, it's in the heart of Silicon Valley. But anyway, on average, science and engineering students maybe are not the type of people who are usually going to start ventures. If most students are not going to start ventures, well, it's going to be harder to to detect the effects of an entrepreneurship program, just as it's hard to assess the impact of a vaccine on a disease that almost no one gets. So we might see stronger effects if we focus on a subpopulation that has a higher probability of becoming an entrepreneur. And this is what another paper by Lyons and Zhang from 2017 does. Lyons and Zhang look at the impact of the Next 36 program, which is an intensive Canadian entrepreneurship program for undergraduates. Uh, currently, it's like four months part-time, plus you do another four months full-time. And it's focused, again, on technology entrepreneurship. Over 2011 to 2015, around 300 people applied for this program every year, and about 70 finalists were selected from these applicants. And finalists go through a second round screen. They get interviewed by a panel, and that panel usually consists of entrepreneurs and founders of the Next 36 program. Eventually, around 36 students are selected every year, and that's based on their interviews, their applications, and the program's own goals to achieve gender and educational background balance. So Lyons and Zhang focus their attention on program finalists, and they're going to compare finalists who got into the program and those who didn't. Now, this has the advantage of we're focusing now on a subpopulation that's already interested in becoming an entrepreneur because they applied to this program and then they even got selected as a finalist. So that might make it easier to detect the impact of the program as compared to a population where entrepreneurial activity is not very common. But it induces a sort of different problem, too. You know, what if the selection committee is really good at identifying successful future entrepreneurs? In that case, any difference in the entrepreneurial outcomes of the accepted and rejected finalists, well, that might just be down to the acumen of the selection committee rather than anything learned in the program. And that wouldn't tell us much about how well we can increase the number of innovative entrepreneurs by training them. So Lyons and Zhang do a few things to deal with this. First off, they've got data on the applications of all the finalists. So in one, anal uh, in one analysis, they're going to match each program participant with a rejected finalist who has a similar profile on paper. They're the same gender, they've got similar interview scores, similar prior entrepreneurial experience, same college major, similar ranking of their university, etc. And for these matched pairs, they're then going to compare the diverging fortunes of the finalists who completed the program to the quote-unquote twin finalist who didn't. They find finalists who completed the program were about 20 percentage points more likely to work in some capacity uh, 
at a startup compared to an overall average across all rejected finalists of about 45%. And this is a bit less than when than what they find when they don't do this sort of matching exercise and they just compare uh, finalists to, you know, who got into finalists who didn't. And that sort of suggests that the program is selecting people who are more likely to be entrepreneurs, but not by much. For example, if you just compare the rejected and accepted finalists and you don't do any of this matching, well, then you're going to find that finalists who do the program are 24 percentage points more likely to work in this startup compared to 20% when you do this matching exercise. And the authors also perform a statistical analysis suggested by Oster 2016, which helps assess the likelihood that differences between the accepted and rejected finalists that are hidden to the economists, Lyons and Zhang, but observable to the selection committee, might be driving the results. And that exercise, it's a statistical analysis, but it also suggests selection effects are probably not driving the results here. Furthermore, just given that it's hard for anyone to spot promising new entrepreneurs, you know, venture capital is a risky business. It's not a sure thing. It seems plausible to me that accepted and unaccepted program finalists are not that likely to be very dissimilar. And if that's the case, Lions and Zhang's work shows that the Next36 program is pretty effective at creating technology entrepreneurs. In addition to the increased probability of starting a venture, they find these ventures are more likely to survive, raise external funding, and be classified as technology ventures when the people do the program. In fact, if we return to Stanford, we see some evidence that a similar program there also obtains stronger results. There was a secondary analysis that Easley and Wang also did that examined the effects of the Mayfield Fellows Program, which is an intensive entrepreneurship program offered by the same Stanford Technology Venture Program. And that's offered to a select set of 12 undergraduate students every year. Now, Easley and Wang have data on 268 of these fellows, but unlike Lyons and Zhang, they don't have data on who the runners-up were, who the finalists who got rejected, so to speak. So instead, they compare the fates of the fellows to different Stanford alumni who participated in various entrepreneurship courses or maybe graduated uh, in the top 5% of their class. And if you do that kind of comparison, well, the Mayfield fellows are a lot more likely to be involved in entrepreneurship after they graduate. So across a variety of studies, we have evidence that entrepreneurship programs in general, that is the kind that helps someone start a business of some kind, whether or not it's based around invention, those modestly increase entrepreneurship and modestly improve entrepreneurial outcomes. But there's a lot of noise, and many studies find mixed or negative results. Indeed, when we zero in on two studies looking at entrepreneurship programming for science and engineering students, at best we get a few indicators of impact alongside a lot of other indicators that don't really show the program had an impact. However, when we look at two highly selective programs for technology ventures, the results seem, I think, a lot more compelling, though we have challenges related to disentangling selection from training. And that's at least among a population of students who are already kind of serious about entrepreneurship. So what's going on? Well, as with all things academic, more research is needed. That said, you know, if you know of more work relevant to this topic, please reach out to me. It's a living literature review. I can update this article. But anyway, I've written about a few other strands of research related to entrepreneurship. And to close, I want to draw out a few connections between this literature and, and the ones I've covered before. So two of those pieces were called Entrepreneurship is Contagious and the Idea of Being an Entrepreneur. In those, I argued that an important driver of entrepreneurship is whether individuals take entrepreneurship seriously as sort of a possibility for their life. 
And I also argued that social role models are particularly effective channels for communicating and transmitting this idea. And this social role model component, that seems really hard to systematically measure. And so maybe that helps account for the seeming variable efficacy of these different training programs. Now, additionally, in those two pieces, I also argued that once you've got the idea that entrepreneurship is a live possibility for you, additional reinforcement of that idea isn't very impactful. Uh, to take one quick illustration, uh, if your parent was an entrepreneur, you have an elevated chance of being an entrepreneur. And it's kind of like my dad or my mom did this. It's the kind of thing that I am thinking seriously about is a thing I could do too. And then you, a lot of the other kind of channels that sometimes lead people to be more likely to be entrepreneurs, like you have more coworkers or people in your neighborhood or whatever, those don't seem to affect you as much. You've already kind of got the idea. End that aside. Anyway, additional reinforcement of this idea might not be very impactful. And that might mean that programs for training entrepreneurs where people are choosing to opt into these programs, maybe they're not going to be that effective because the people who opt in were already kind of considering entrepreneurship as a possibility for their life. And indeed, in those two posts I mentioned earlier, I argued that for people already interested in entrepreneurship, learning about it might actually make them less likely to become entrepreneurs because it can correct some of their misperceptions. Now, I argued this might be why Harvard Business School graduates in a famous study by Lerner and Malmendier, which is discussed in both of those posts, uh, this, Harvard, this study found that Harvard Business School graduates who had more ex-entrepreneurs in their class were less likely to later become entrepreneurs. And the fact that entrepreneurship programming might lead people who were initially optimistic about entrepreneurship to sort of reassess things, that might be another reason the effects are often ambivalent. Lyons and Zhang, which we talked about in this uh, podcast earlier, provide some additional evidence that entrepreneurship programs could have this effect of sort of warning people off bad ideas for businesses. In an effort to understand what the Next36 program really is doing for its participants, they give finalists a survey before and after the program, and then they compare responses to see how, does, how do participant responses change after they've been through this program. And they actually find little or no change in the survey responses for a lot of things that you would think would matter. Things like pitch ability, uh, the reported risk aversion, the reported perceived likelihood of raising $10 million, and so on. But participants do rate themselves more capable of evaluating startup opportunities by the end of the program, suggesting participation in the program gave them tools to sort of better identify bad ideas and maybe not follow them up. Easley and Wang, which we also talked about, they studied the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. They also provide some confirmatory evidence that entrepreneurship programming might dissuade the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurially curious off of unpromising ventures. Their study examines, in addition to the Stanford Technology Ventures Program, an entrepreneurship program in Stanford's Graduate Business School. And using the same analysis strategy, that part of the study finds that program, if you participate in it, it significantly reduces the probability that these business students go on to become entrepreneurs. Although the ones who do, they achieve better outcomes. So one reason the results of entrepreneurship training isn't stronger might be because for students who aren't seriously interested in entrepreneurship, one important factor for whether they begin to take it seriously is if they meet a role model like them. And that's hard to measure. It's maybe hard to program for. And for the students who are already interested, well, they might actually learn some of their entrepreneurial ideas are not very strong, which dissuades them from becoming bad entrepreneurs. 
And the end result is kind of a mushy effect on the probability of becoming an entrepreneur. But this is a case where maybe a mushy result is what we want, especially if that's because the people dissuaded from entrepreneurship would have been more likely to fail. This isn't to say that, of course, there might not also be a lot of other factors going on, but I'm just at this time trying to sort of tie this into the previous work on new things under the sun. Now, let's turn to these results from programs that are more selective. If highly selective programs do seem to have more success, and that's a conclusion I'm a little hesitant to hold super firmly without more studies, one possible reason that they might be more successful is because of their inclusion of more intensive mentoring. The next 36, for example, pairs participants with mentors who are usually experienced entrepreneurs and business leaders. And the Mayfield Fellows Program also offers alumni mentoring opportunities. And I've written a previous post called Teacher Influence and Innovation, where I reviewed a variety of evidence that training under exceptional innovators exerts a significant influence on students' interests and their sort of innovative outcomes later in life. So could it be the same for entrepreneurship? Well, we get a glimmer of evidence on this from another study, Walskog 2022, which is a paper I discussed in more detail in those posts I mentioned earlier. You can get a link to it in the newsletter. Now, Walskog isn't looking at entrepreneurship training. This is a paper that's instead looking at social role models. And she shows that people who have more ex-entrepreneurs in their workspace are more likely to subsequently start a business. And they're also more likely to say that role models were an important factor in that decision. But she also finds that people who worked with more successful ex-entrepreneurs had slightly better performing businesses than those who worked with less successful ex-entrepreneurs. And that's at least one indicator that entrepreneurial mentorship, you know, if your mentor is talented, can improve performance, which would be in keeping with what we see in sort of other kinds of innovation, typically measured in terms of like inventing or science or stuff. But that's not the only possible explanation. It's not, there could be things going on besides mentoring. It may also be down to the fact that intensive programs do a better job of building students' networks. In fact, when Lyons and Zhang compare their before and after survey results for their students who did the Next 36 program, they find that the biggest difference are related to questions on networks. Participants say that they know more potential investors and more potential sort of founding partners after the program than they said they knew before. And Lions and Zhang also find that the accepted finalists have many more connections on LinkedIn than the rejected finalists, which is sort of a nice check on that survey evidence. So taken all together, I'm actually cautiously optimistic. In aggregate, entrepreneurship training seems to have effects we would expect, although perhaps smaller than we would like. But one reason that the effect might be smaller than we want is because entrepreneurship training is actually good at teaching people about what bad startups look like, which dissuades some people from diving in when they shouldn't. And that's a case where a weak result is maybe not such a bad thing to see. Meanwhile, if we zero in on highly selected samples that maybe are probably more likely to succeed, there's some evidence that these programs increase both the rates of entrepreneurship and the success of those entrepreneurs. Possibly that's because these mentors connect budding entrepreneurs with mentors, investors, and potential future partners. Thanks for listening. And now it's time for the standard end of the episode boilerplate. You've been listening to a podcast from New Things Under the Sun, a living literature review with the mission of communicating what academia knows about innovation and accessible but rigorous research syntheses. New Things Under the Sun is a living literature review, which means I go back and update these research syntheses as new research is published or I discover it. The podcast you listen to 
is taken from the first published version of one of these syntheses. To see if there's been any updates about the claims made in this podcast, or to learn more about this project, head to newthingsunderthesun.com.